0: Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. I actually have the passage for you in your booklet, and I refer back a couple verses for context. We are finally to the last chapter of the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Now, this chapter will require a slower pace. There's just so much, so much to feast upon, all, in all of God's Word, of course, but here in chapter 6. It's this buildup. It's the book of God's grace, sovereign grace in Christ to us, The foundation, those first three chapters, may be nowhere more clear in all the Bible about what God has done for us in Christ fully because of the merit of Jesus. Nothing to do with what we have offered to it or have merited all of Christ in all of God's glory for the beautiful, uh, glorious display of his mercy. And we just see it build up throughout the book. So when we get to the part where it kind of tells us things we should do in light of it, we recognize this is out of response to who we are in Christ. This is because the Holy Spirit has filled us, and we can live this way or seek to live this way with his help so that he might receive the glory. It just builds up to this chapter, and there's lots of lots of uh, commands in it or instructions, but we have to see it in connection with what has been building. That's the best way to, to read it. It's the way they would have received it the first time, a letter from their beloved Apostle Paul, who'd been gone for over a year. He was with them for two and a half years. They missed him greatly. And the first thing he does is send them a letter about God's grace, to re-root them, to ground them again in the grace of God and Christ. And then in light of that, beloved brothers and sisters, moms and dads, husbands and wives, and everybody in the midst of the, the congregation, live this way according to your identity in Christ. We come now to Paul's instruction for the family. I'll start by reading in Ephesians 5, verse 31, and I'll finish with reading Ephesians 6, verse 4. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you, Love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this, this is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Lord, here we come to a, an area that might bring us some discomfort. It's probably been the case that children of all ages and parents have spent quite a bit of time together, especially in 2020, probably more than usual. I think I can confess on behalf of us all that the relationship between children and parents is an intense one in the place where the friction between our flesh and our faith rubs the most. Children know who their parents really are, and parents know who their children are. So with a spirit of transparency and humility, reliant completely upon your grace in Christ through your Holy Spirit's ministry, help us to honor you in our family relationships. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So how was 2020 for your family togetherness? Pretty good? Pretty intense? I'll tell you our story a little. It's it's funny because I've been here for... uh, almost 24 years. So over the years, you've seen my children grow up here. My, uh, we got here in 97 and AJ was born in 99 and all four of our children have come since him. So that I know you've all seen the good, bad, the ugly. Um, so every time I preach on family relationships, it's at a different phase in my own life. And this has been the most uh, introspective and then coupled quarantine with it, with everybody in the house together, you know, grown men as well at this point now with my two oldest You know, being nineteen and twenty-one, back when that happened, almost a year later, if you can imagine. But it was last year during spring break, the COVID thing started percolating. You started hearing about it, but no one really knew what was going to happen with it. We got into March, and my oldest son had come back for his spring break. His girlfriend and a bunch of friends and other friends uh, separate went into different groups, and they went into different places to go to spring break. Spring breaks they had planned, you know, somewhere in the south. And he was kind of mopey coming home, having to come you know, from the, the balmy negative 10 of Northwest Iowa to the balmy plus five of Kansas City at that time. It was pretty chilly. And he was just a bit mopey having to spend his spring break that way with just us. My other son, Nico, was in California and he had a week more to, of school to go. So we got the idea to go surprise him because A.G. had not seen his college at this point to surprise him, and then AJ could see California a little bit. So we used our Southwest Airline points, and we got our tickets. And on March 10th, we flew to LAX and then went to see Nico, surprised him, had a great time seeing him and his environment. And then AJ and I, in the evenings, because Nico had to study for exams, we went out and did some stuff. And it was March 12th, last year, that he and I got tickets to the Los Angeles Kings versus the Ottawa Senators. And the greatest sport there is hockey. And so we went to the Coliseum that night and got cheap tickets, really cheap tickets as a matter of fact. And so we got in and we noticed that half the place was empty. This is March 12th now. It was 7 p.m. western time, 9 p.m. eastern time. That game became the last professional sports contest played in North America. Google it up. It was the last game before everything locked down and the apocalypse was upon us. It was March 12th that night. NBA had canceled in the afternoon. Players from that game that played the NBA game were in that locker room and several of the hockey players ended up with COVID that night in the same, in the same locker room. It was that early stage where it seemed like everybody was getting it. In March 12th, They announced after the game was over, the NHL suspended its season, and no more contests were played in North America until many, many months later, and none since that time allowed for the whole crowd. So AJ and I got on the plane, a very different plane ride back. Nico came with us back home, and they never left home after that to go back to their schools. And so all of us were back in our house together, enjoying one another's fellowship and company. For the first week, and the second week, and the third week, and the fourth week, and the fifth week, and the sixth, and it kept going on. But in that time frame, I would suggest to you, and I think we'll look back at this, I think our family will. We had some of the most important decisions made, discussions had, time spent, forced introspection, familially as well as individually. All of us had little, you know, mini crises or things that we were dealing with together or apart, but then having to interact with. It brought out some stuff that, that you know, we had to, as parents, it's humbling when you think look back at how you did some things and you're glad that your children have some grace towards you in that respect. You hope you have grace towards them. It's just a humbling endeavor because we're such messed up people. We're broken in so many ways. Not to use that in a cliche term, but you know what I mean. It's just, we're hacking through doing our best. We love Christ. We love his word. We're human beings who are struggling. We're in process. We live together. And there's just lots that we all know about each other as family members. Nobody knows you like your family does. And they know really who you are. Parents, your children know you. Children, your parents know you. It was really pressed upon me over that quarantine period. And even the whole of the time, it was difficult because they couldn't really even find jobs for a while. So we're really stuck at home together. And I contemplated all that had already gone on in their lives. You already have two that are basically adults, not completely out on their own, but they're adults. They could do what they want. I'm not legally responsible for them anymore, I thought. And here we are looking back at the the pluses and the minuses of how things happen as we grew up, as they grew up and as we grew up together. And it comes to my mind as I arrive at this passage that it's important to sort of set up the context for the command that comes in chapter 6. And I could preach this every couple years and you will find yourself as a parent or as a child in a different place as to where, how it hits you. So I know it will apply to everybody in the room. And everyone, part of this applies to everybody because we're all children of somebody, And there's a way in which we honor our parents, even if our parents are gone. So it really does apply to everybody. But it really would be great if we would commit together to be uh, humble and transparent towards each other, as parents to children and children to parents, and each other as church members, recognizing everybody has something going on with their situation, not to be judgmental of what that person's parental situation is, or that child, or that uh, behavior, that activity. Oh, do you know what... Listen, all of us should know by now what this life is like, the difficulties it is. And we try our best. We rely upon God's grace. Uh, In the end, though, it is all of his grace. And this book is all about God's grace when it gets to chapter 6. It didn't just plunk down, children, obey your parents. It doesn't just start there. In fact, we have to look at the development to fully appreciate exactly what's being said here. It says in our verse, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Children, obey and honor. Fathers, parents, don't provoke to frustration. Disciple them, shepherd them in the Lord. This is the focus. This week, let's look at children. Next week, let's look at parents. Now, before I go any further, I want to sound a bit of a warning bell. This instruction to children and parents is in the context of sovereign grace. I know I've said this before, but I don't apologize for saying it over and over again. It has to be really bolstered as we go into the passage. We've reached chapter 6 of Ephesians, but do not forget from whence we have come. Imagine that first congregation receiving the full letter, and it's at the end of the letter that they receive these very pointed instructions. Ephesians 1 starts, imagine sitting there as the local elder of the church reads, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. Immediately the congregation would remember Paul's preaching, his teaching, who they are in Christ, the gospel he preached, and it must have been comforting to hear The elder read the book of Ephesians to them, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are the faithful in Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. As the book goes on in Ephesians chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us as sons and daughters, of The comfort that would come from hearing those gospel words again. Our acceptance in God through Christ's work. And you'll note that the first two chapters of Ephesians don't have anything to do with any, we, the thing we bring to the table. It's all what God has done for us by the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. In him we have obtained an inheritance in Ephesians 1. And the book goes on, as the elder would have been reading. When you heard the word of truth, Ephesians, Christians... The gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The security we have is because of what God has done, not by our ability to obey. This is important foundational, foundational material for what will come. Later in Ephesians 1, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what the hope, the hope to which you've been called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance to you, the saints? Then he moves to chapter 2, and it gets even thicker when it comes to grace. The grace to you becomes palpable. In Ephesians 2, 4, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. It's for by grace you've been saved, he tells them, not by works. It's not your own doing. It's God's gift to you. No one could boast that they did something for this. You see where this is going and this is building? Why it's so important to have this well understood before we get to chapter 6. Then in chapter 3, the apostle says, may he grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now the promise of the Holy Spirit to work with you who are saved by grace. So when we receive the commands of God, we are spirit-filled people who are in union with Christ. You're not on your own when God tells you to follow this path or to walk this way, as he uses the metaphor, to walk. Walk as wise, not as unwise. We can do this because of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, because of our security in Christ. And then when he turns the corner in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, now there's laying out for us how we start to look the part that we are, that we look like the son or the daughter of, Christ, of God that we are in Christ. So we put off the old and we put on the new. That's the description used. In Ephesians 4, 20 and following, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Christians, born again Christians, those who are secure in Christ, secured by the Spirit, who have the Spirit indwelling you, you could do this. You could put this away now. If you mess up, you're You're not lost. You're going to mess up, as a matter of fact, but you are in him. And because you're in him, you have that security and you can go forward this way. Then we get to Ephesians 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Not imitators of God who, if they mess up, you're not children anymore or you're out. No, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Here's the point I'm trying to make and build up at the beginning. We don't have the benefit of reading the whole book of Ephesians like the first reading would have been. So I think that it's important to build this background up as we head into some very pointed verses in chapter 6. Every ethical demand that's made by the apostle is presented as the reaction to the grace of God. It's the outflow of the grace shown to us. There's no way that you can construe Paul to be saying, Obey God. And you will receive grace. No possible way. Any reasonable reading sees that would be the opposite of what's being taught. You've received grace. Now you can't obey God in light of this. You have received the lavish grace of God in Christ. So walk in a manner. Now here's how you walk. This is what Paul says at the end of the book. Here's how you walk. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Lay yourself down for her. You could do this by God's grace. Wives, you can follow him and respect him by God's grace as a result of God's grace. Children, you can obey your parents. You can honor your parents because of the grace shown to you in Christ. Parents, don't frustrate your children. Be careful there. Nurture them. Don't make them angry. Don't put them in a place of discouragement. Work to disciple them and shepherd them. See, that sounds a lot different coming from the grace of God in Christ to us parents hopefully we're all a little more relaxed because we all can count the ways we failed. But God, he knows all of this. He gives us his grace and more of it and more of it and more of it. It's never, never too much. He'll keep giving it to you. And we're seeking that now as we seek to be parents that are faithful and children who are faithful children. So I want to say one more thing in preface to the children And when I say children, I mean younger children than there are teens and and young adults even. I know sometimes I'll I'll throw this around. Hopefully you know which one I'm talking to when I say what I say. And the two words that are used here, obey and honor, they really do stretch across a span of ages. And you'll see what I mean. But to the children here, you need to know very clearly from Scripture that you are not accepted by your Heavenly Father based on your obedience to your parents. Not even based on your parents' opinion of you. God loves you through his son, Christ. And if you rest in Christ, you are secure in him. He loves you even when you fail him, even when you disobey your parents. Your heavenly father wants you to follow the lead of your earthly parents. That's why he placed them. But his love for you doesn't depend on your faithfulness to it. Let's get past that first to recognize that. Parents, you are not accepted by God on the basis of your faithfulness as parents, or how well your children turned out or are turning out. God does not accept you on that basis. He doesn't love you any more or less on that basis. He loves you through Christ and Christ alone. He loves you as much as he loves Christ because you're in union with him. Yeah, that much. Being a good parent will not make you more acceptable to God. God saved you, gave you a new heart of flesh. He wants you to guide to mentor, to nurture, and train your children with selfless love to the best of your ability with his aid. But he doesn't give you a greater spot in heaven for doing it. Make no mistake, blessings do attend obedience. I'm not saying that they don't. They absolutely do. But our status as adopted sons and daughters, as the saints of God, as he's called us in Christ, that's been secured by Christ. We come from a place of stability here. And that's the fundamental point of Ephesians. Grace to you. Grace to you, brothers and sisters, and now go forward in this path that I've laid out before you. Now, with the grace of God and Christ as the foundation for these commands in Ephesians 6, we can come boldly to Ephesians 6 and say, Lord, what do you have for us? What do we have? And we'll notice that a recurring universal biblical truth is is applicable here. Great spiritual growth and blessing comes from obeying God's word. We see this in the context of the roles of the different members of the family, husbands and wives, children and parents. Great spiritual blessing comes from obeying God's order for these things. And this is especially true for children and parents. I would say there may be no more pointed way, whereas if we follow as God directs, that this will have the most benefit for us in this life we're living, especially children with parents. Children, as you listen to your parents, as you follow your parents. Now, keep in mind the very first point that I would draw to your attention, and this comes back from the verses that we studied already that are there. Ephesians 5, 31 down to 33, we see that the structure that God has ordained for the way we would grow in the grace of Christ, at least the main structure, is not the only way. And when this is broken, God has many other ways to shed his grace. But typically, family is God's main design for growing in the grace of Christ. In the middle of Ephesians 5, verse 31, he refers back to the building block for marriage or the design for marriage in Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. There's your family right there. That's the family. A man and a woman married, that's the family. Children are added to the family, but the family is the husband and the wife, the one flesh union. And children are an enhancement, they're a fruit, they're a blessing, but the family's not about the children. The family's about God who has brought together the marriage, and the marriage mirrors Christ in the church. So the gospel itself is on display in the marital design. As the husband lays his life down for his wife, his wife follows the lead of the husband, just like the church in Christ, Christ lays his life down for us. We recognize we need this. We follow him. And the Lord designs the church's activity that way, its essence that way. But it's also descriptive of marriage. And so the family relationship is at the base level The first place where the gospel is lived out, where it's tested, where it's explored, where people, they know what the message is because God's given the other divine institution, the church, uh, the oracles of the church, or the ability to maintain the mantle of the clarity of the gospel. So you should come to church through the ministry of the church. You should have clarity about what the gospel is. Understand what the word of God is says and and means you study it on your own you you check it with those elders in your church the church that does its job to be accurate to the scriptures and you rightfully are checking that and you're digging into the word but then in the private way that it's applied is in the home and it's in the home it's not just that you're speaking it anymore yes you are clarifying what the gospel is how we know we're right with God through Christ that our children know this But we're displaying it too by the way we interact. How do we show the grace that we say we receive from God? How do we show it to each other? How do I show it to my wife? How do I show it to my kids? Kids, how do you learn to show it to your parents and to others? That's really the workshop where the gospel fruit finds its form. And it's also where we know all the stuff about each other. We know a hard we have to continually uh, be about applying the gospel over again. When we wrong each other, the gospel's reapplied. I don't mean you get re-saved. I just mean that you have to stop and think again about forgiveness. And if I've been forgiven much, should I not also forgive? You see, that, that happens at the family level. That's the base level where the two become one flesh. And now what we do is we move into the, the bulk of what this passage is about, or at least what I'm going to focus on for this week. The bulk comes into how children relate to their parents in this gospel endeavor, in their discipleship, in their growth as people. I'm not going to say just their spiritual lives. Your life is spiritual. That's ultimately the reality of it. So as they develop as people, I mean to say the spiritual component. That's, that's what happens in your family. It happens in every family, whether they acknowledge it's spiritual or not. So we come to the second point, which is the first verse, where we see this growth and this blessing coming from following the leadership of your parents if you're a child. Verse one, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Let's take some time now and consider this. All of us, but children especially, paying close attention. It says here, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Now remember everything I just said, in the Lord, in God's grace, by God's grace. And when it says in the Lord that you obey your parents in the Lord, it doesn't mean you obey everything your parents say. It's not an unconditional command. It's saying, in the Lord. So in a way that honors the Lord. Now, you know and I know, kids and all of us, our parents don't purposely try to get us to sin. Our parents may mess up or not know better. or Something can occur. That, that happens. But you know that nine times out of ten, as my dad would always say, nine times out of ten, our parents are not trying to lead us into a sinful direction. But it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. As a reminder of your following The people that God placed in your life. So in a sense, you're obeying God by obeying your parents in this way. For this is right, it says. Now read it real fast. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. You just know it's right. You know that's the natural way of the order. That you don't even have to read the Bible to see that it makes sense that children would follow their parents. It's, it's unusual if we would not think this way, that a little child would not follow their parents. Now, I know it gets more complicated as we grow, but think about how grotesque it would be if you would have a youngster, a, a toddler, who would do nothing that their parents would say whatsoever. You would say, that's not right. Something's not wrong, right there. Because obey your child, or obey your parent. That's right. It's the natural revelation, you might say, that just is clear. It was uh, just, I can use lots of illustrations for this, but just yesterday when my daughter and I were coming out of her basketball game, a whole bunch of people are going out, a whole bunch of people are coming in. And there's kids passing each other. And like our family, there's multiple kids in a lot of the families. And so some mom will be taking her daughter to her game, and she has a couple of their, you know, two or three other children maybe with her smaller children, trying to keep them close, and we're crammed in the hall together, and you can easily get mixed up. And it's a little scary. If you've got a toddler with a big crowd going by everybody, and you lose sight of them for a little bit, that's legitimately a scary thing. And she lost sight of her child. I saw the child coming ahead, and I could see the look on her face that she lost sight. She was trying to keep her eye on her little toddler, maybe a three- or four-year-old boy tops, probably three, toddling through and weaving through. She couldn't see. And she, like I'm talking like a mom would scream, that boy's name, it didn't care about what anybody else thought about it. And it was not a soft little uh, uh, entreaty. It was uh, screaming that boy's name, you get back here now, because she wanted him to hear the voice and stop and come back. Now, when that happens, now right away the kid did not stop. He kept moving. And what you all thinking? Well, I'm thinking to myself, this kid did not listen to his mother. How many state institutions is he going to be in and out? because of this. He's going to be a serial killer. He is not following his, and I, I'm not saying this out loud. I'm thinking, oh, I can't believe this kid's not listening. And then I'm thinking, feeling sorry for the lady. I'm like, man, that's embarrassing. You got to yell because I can remember doing the same thing at some point in my own life. And so everybody's got some judgment about the whole thing because it feels a little odd that the boy was not right near his mom and didn't listen. Now we know that's the way it happens. But what I'm saying is it's just natural to think that you're, especially in a dangerous situation, mom should save this son, do this and that makes, that's, that's just right. Just listen to your mom. That's what's right. Follow her. It's just the natural understanding. And so the first order that Paul brings to children is, hey, follow your parents. It's the right thing to do. You know it's the right thing to do. It makes sense. Just look around. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Now, obedience is the right thing to your parents. You can get this, especially as you're young. But now Paul uses another word. There's Two sentences together that mean almost the same thing, but not identical. Now there's an expansion on the word obedience on purpose. Verse 2 He says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. So now Paul is expanding away from just what you might call as natural law or just what's commonsensical to supernatural. So this is revealed by God. Here's a nuance now that's more than just simply obey. Obey because it makes sense. It's safe to obey. You'd be wise to obey your parents. Don't run across that road. Yeah, and you stop. But now there's a nuance that God gives because he has the, the dynamics around what it means to parent someone or what your parent's role is in your life. Honor, it says. Honor. Honor is not equal identically with obey. It's part. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. He's talking about the fifth commandment. We just read it this morning. Paul now is appealing to the most foundational, supernaturally revealed moral code on earth, the Ten Commandments. Obey your parents as God has explicitly commanded, yes. But if you do this, more often than not, this will go well with you. Honor your parents. So the word honor is more all-encompassing than just Obey. Obey is acute to a point to follow this instruction. Honor is a general demeanor we carry towards our parents' instruction, towards our, prayer, our parents' guidance. All of us should be perked up on this because we can honor our parents even if they're gone. It, you're not limited by your age insofar as how you honor your parents. It, it's a much more advanced understanding. It starts with obedience, and as you're a small child, for sure, obedience is the key. Especially as you grow. But as you grow, it really transfers into being something about honoring your parents. Because at some point, and this is where it's sticky, this is where we don't like it as parents and and teenagers usually. The teenagers are really ready to start doing more on their own. They think they should. The parent's still trying to do their best to guide and direct them with a, a disciple and discipline in that sense. And so there's a bit of a friction that starts to occur when the teenager wants to pull away more and the parent's a little bit not sure if they're ready yet. And you're going from obedience to honoring. And that part right there is tough. That's, that's, that's tough. That that's especially starts happening generally, you know, 7th to ninth and 10th grade is where it happens. In fact, I remember what Chuck Swindoll said, when your, your son gets to 7th grade, Put him in a barrel, put the lid on the top, put a slit in, it and feed him food through it. When he gets to eighth grade, shut up the shut up the, the hole. Um, sorry, boys, I've got three of them. I can attest that something happens. Okay, the point is that's a tough phase because that's when a young man and a young girl, young woman now, is starting to want to just you know test some of these things. They start asking questions about the logic of the rules we have, and they're legitimate questions oftentimes in that stretch period. But I want you to think. We'll talk more about it. But think about you go from obedience and you go to really honoring. I think about that in the way school works, as I've been involved with, with helping with development of the school over the years. It's always difficult for parents in middle school because what's happening is they're going from, you can set up rules, and you can set up morals, and they follow them really well, zero to fifth grade, you know, uh, pre-K to fifth grade. But somewhere in that middle school period, you have to start going to what life looks like after that, which is living on principles and people making some decisions. I find it the most difficult things personally as a parent and difficult watching parents watch go through the transition with their students, with their kids, because you go from obedience to honoring. Honoring involves the whole of someone's will, and you have to start to think of every activity, and you weigh it through a set of principles, and in this case, the principles your parents taught you. So obedience and honor, they go together. This is packed This is very packed and it explains a lot about how we develop as children and into young adults and into adults ourselves. And that the honoring part never ends. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Remember the commandments as they build up to the fifth commandment. Um, They have some some, um, uh, explanation that goes with it. Have no other gods before me. Make no graven images or likenesses. Do not take the Lord's name in vain, or you will not be held guiltless. So there's a little bit of a curse that goes with that. But then verse four, keep the Sabbath holy. And then verse five, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now stop there for a moment. Think of your biblical history. Remember the 10 commandments come to Moses to the people of God, but come to Moses after they've they've come out of Egypt. Now they're getting ready to take the land that, God, that God's promised them. The land of his grace, milk and honey, all his. He's given it to them, nothing they've done. They're not an attractive people when he picked them. It's all his grace, still, still couched in grace. And then he gives them the commandments, that they would follow the commandments, that they would represent his righteousness before the earth. Now we know they fail at this. They don't keep the commandments to be saved. But these are the basic, these are really the summary commandments of the whole of God's law, the Ten Commandments. And so he gives this fifth commandment and says and uses the language of the promised land of what they'll be able to, they're God's people, but to experience the blessings of the promised land. Follow this. Do what your parents say. If you do that, you'll have opportunity to taste that blessing that's yours in the promised land. That's what is meant by the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Verse three, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Paul is essentially paraphrasing the commandment, using this covenantal language to describe what will come to them if they would obey their parents, if they would honor their parents, I should say. And honor is an important word that I want to accent. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson on this point, he notes that the essence of this verse is saying, live in faithfulness to God's covenant in your relationship to your parents. And you will discover that the promises of the Lord's blessing are true. It's not a promise that you'll necessarily live a certain amount of days. It's talking in general about how as we follow the ones that the Lord gives, give, gives us for that guidance, we'll see that go well. It will taste some of the benefits of being in God's covenant of grace. Obey is pointed. Honor has more to do with respecting our parents' overall leadership as we follow them. I think of my father often about the various things he taught me. They weren't always specifically lessons, but there are ways in which he did things and he would repeat them as he goes. And they've never left me. And I found myself um, following these things uh, subconsciously, really. Work and provide for your family. He'd always talk in those terms. Be respectful of elders. He always said if someone's older, it doesn't matter who's smarter, who or what their level is or what their condition is or what their situation is, what their class, none of that matters. If they're older, you respect them. Period. And I saw him do that, and I saw that's the way it worked. Now, I'm not saying every one of these things that they necessarily teach you are explicit biblical things, but it just shows you what honoring means. Uh, be a faithful friend, he'd say. Laugh a lot, he would say. So all these things I've kind of taken to heart is the way I just remember him uh, displaying them. And then sometimes you'll catch yourself and you'll recognize, why am I the way I am? And some of it has to do with what you've seen in your parents, and you're honoring Some aspect of what they taught you by mimicking that or following that or being like that to some degree. I think we honor our parents in this way. Ferguson, who I just referred to, said, Look for ways to honor your father and your mother no matter the stage of your life. Find them as soon as you can. Look for those ways. It may yet transform family relationships and things will go well with you. Now, let me get really pointed. And you guys will have all sorts of chance. In fact, since we won't have church tonight, the whole rest of the day is open. Right? You're not doing anything today. And so, in fact, I'll say this. Take a nap and you get home. And at 5 o'clock, sit down and talk about the sermon. And talk, There should be no giggling whatsoever here, but you'll sit down and have a chat with each other, children and parents, about some of the things I'm talking about. Now, some of what I'll say, you know, probe with each other. I'm not, I'm not saying thus saith the Lord, but here's some ideas for you as it relates to children obeying their parents or honoring their parents, depending where you are on the stage. And then parents, your reaction to it, I'll close with just very briefly because we'll spend the rest of the sermon next week talking about children. But if you're a younger child, here's some of the ways in which you can, you can honor your parents, you can obey your parents. It's pretty simple, even though I know it might be difficult for you at times. And I understand this. We've been children too, and it's not always the easiest. A big one is like when your parents ask you to do something, kind of do it right away rather than delay and wait and wait or act like you don't hear them. That one. Husbands do that too. Don't follow that just that that example. When you're called, respond right away. Also, how you talk to your parents, how you talk to adults, being thankful, just recognizing the things you have, be thankful for them. Doing chores when you're asked to do them the first time. Contribute around the house. Treating your brothers and your sisters well, even if they don't always treat you well. Uh, So many of these things are obvious to you, but they're ways in which you can honor the Lord. Sometimes a younger child will wonder, what can we do to honor the Lord? Just by obeying your parents and following through in some of these things I've mentioned, these are ways in which you can do this. This is a way that you show that you understand the grace shown to you and you want to show it to others, kindness to others. God's been kind to you. You could show kindness to others. Now, as you get into the teen years, it becomes more complicated. It just does. There's no two ways about it. You're starting to feel like some of the rules that you've been uh, under for a while, you're starting to add them up and they don't quite add up. And here's the newsflash your parents know that too. Sometimes we just don't know what else to do, honestly. We're trying to do our best. And you're starting to scrutinize them like, well, this isn't very consistent. This doesn't make sense. Or Johnny's friend doesn't do this. Or her, you know, and then you start getting into that whole thing. So you've gone from the simple obedience of a young child to now growing like you need more independence. And that's true. You do at some point. You're caught between. Betwixt and between obedience and honoring. That that transference I just talked a little bit. A huge step in your growth is when you submit to your parents' rules, even when you think those rules are lame. And it could be something to do with the the friends you hang out with, the rules about the car, the standards that they have for your grades, rules about music, TV, movies, video games, phones, rules for dating, uh, what you wear, your hair, all these kind of things. These could be things in your household that your parents have strong feeling about, and you, sh- you just do very well to try to honor these. Now, I want to give this caveat to parents and to teens especially. Uh, I give you permission to have this discussion. I'm not saying what your parents will do, young teenager, but I do suggest that we maintain in our households an open dialogue, a transparent dialogue between our teens especially and us as parents. Uh, I think that discussing the reasons for the rules we might have will go a long way to help your, your teenager appreciate. They may not agree, but they'll at least appreciate the thought process. And Here's the challenge to us parents. If we don't have a really good thought process, maybe it shouldn't be a rule. I'm just saying that might be the case. I'm not talking strict sin or not. I'm talking about these issues that sometimes we hold on to rules or maybe you had with one child and then a change, you know, I've got three boys and every two years there's just differences in even the way the world works and the technologies and so forth. So we might want to be open to revisit that and teenagers to bring that to your parents in a respectful way, not a demanding way, just in a way that recognizes, hey, mom and dad have a heavy duty here. I understand that, but, you know, my life would be better if you'd hear me out on this, mom or dad. And have a discussion about it. I believe that that is something that would go a long way in a lot of our households. And and to be open to allow our children to have that access and children to appreciate what your parents go through to try to come up with ways to help guide you and direct you. The basic rule we have always had is that any extra-biblical household rule, you are open to appeal. So the boys can appeal it, and they appeal it. They'll let us know what they think, and we'll have interaction on it. I'm not saying it's always as formal as i like it to be, but we will have a discussion about it. They can voice it. In the end, we're asking them, though, to follow what we decide. We might tweak what we decide. We might change change along the way. That happens. I had something happen a few years ago that's just too funny not to... to in age, he can't defend himself because he's not here. So, But... When AJ, my oldest, uh, was going into his senior year, no, he was in his senior year, and he was thinking about what he was going to do for college, um, he said to me, he just announced to me at one point that he really had decided that he was going to go to JUCO for a couple years and go to K-State after. He, he had a great plan. I had no issue with the plan whatsoever. But his plan was, he was, yeah, well, I'm going to move out after graduation. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that and do the other thing. And we have a bit of agreement on how we'll help pay for college, you know, how, what that looks like, so forth. You know, he may be 18, and I may not legally be responsible, but he still got some needs to, that require me. And so he said to me, all this plan, I said, Jay, how do you expect to pay for the apartment? I mean, how is this going to, and I'm just listing off the different things it's going to cost. And he's looking at me like not. And I told him what I thought an apartment would be, which in retrospect, it was too little. And he's like, he, I, could t- I could see he's just starting to become overwhelmed with how much it would cost just to not even live in our house, let alone go to college. And I didn't want to let him, I wasn't trying to be hard on him because he really was looking forward to getting out of the house. That was the thing. And I'm, Dad, I'm going to do this. And I'm, I I'm Listen, I want you to get out of the house too, brother. Trust me, I, I want you to. But but I don't see how this is going to work. And so I even wrote it out in the napkin, some of the expenses and things, and I started listing them all off. And we got back home. An hour later, he's downstairs, comes back up. And this is my son. I love him for this. He just plops himself and goes, Dad, I just realized I am completely dependent upon you. I said, yeah, pretty much. That is kind of how it is right now. And I I was where you're at and and I don't want you to be. We don't want you to be dependent anymore. So we had a really good discussion about the things he really wanted. And he really wanted to be out of home, out of the home. I understood that. Well, how is that going to work? And so we worked out the plan about how he might go to college somewhere, what that would look like in connection to when he came back. Really had to talk out what his adult, his early adult years would look like with our help and there was negotiating that went on and so forth. Now, at the end of that, he's almost graduated, and we've had some of the best discussions about how that all went on. Also, we also went over some mistakes that I made in the way I said things to him, or so. Or, 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 I mean, there's, it hasn't like, been all rosy, but it's been communicative, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make. Transparency, open talk, dialogue, and on the child side, the teen side, recognize some complexities you might be missing, you just don't know yet. And parent recognize that your teens got some some aspirations that shouldn't be squashed. You want to encourage them to really be thinking about how to how to advance themselves and to move out into this world for Christ. I mean, all that's that's in there, and I hope that all that I'm saying here falls under the greater umbrella for you children, especially, to honor your parents. And I want you to recognize the final point in verse four as to why this would be the case. We're gonna take on first four strictly speaking about parents. But for now, children, read this verse uh, as the child thinking about your parent feels like when they're seeing God's command. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That is, don't discourage your children. Don't make them upset or just angry all the time because you're giving them too many rules or you're not giving enough guidance and they're kind of fast and loose and things aren't going well for them. They lack discipline. Don't provoke your children to anger. That's a command to your parents, children, teens, But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Not only are they not supposed to make you angry, so please know they're not trying to make you angry. They're also supposed to be nurturing or guiding, directing, shepherding you. That's God's command to them. So if you would appreciate, children, that your parents have a huge heavy mantle and they're not up to the task on their own. They have to rely on the same grace you need and they need the Holy Spirit. Along the way, they're going to mess it up. They'll have inconsistent rules at times. They will play favorites sometimes to one sibling over another. They don't mean to do it. It's just some they're people and things happen like that. Um, they, could have in, they could have rules that uh, one time they're, they're harsh, next time they're not, and they don't even recognize it. They're, they're human beings. Recognize the heavy weight that's upon them and you can help them by being less, uh, less combative about it if it comes your way in a way that you feel violates what you're looking to do. I can cite for you, I have, and we don't have time, but I have a dozen verses that are the weight of the responsibility upon parents. And I just ask the children here, young and older, to recognize the heavy, weighty, even stressful divine responsibility they have in raising you up and nurturing you and not making you angry, not provoking you to wrath or making you discouraged. They don't want this. They want the opposite of that. They want to promote you. You've been shown grace through Christ to put you in the family you're in to give you knowledge of Christ if you rest in him. Show that grace in response to the people closest to you and the closest people will be your parents. Show grace to your parents. Parents, show grace to your children. Ephesians, grace to you from God, our Father. This is the message of it and it perpetuates and it starts most forcefully in the home. In the, fo- in the home, Just as you want your parents to show you grace, so also show them grace. You know, in, in final thought, you know, for, for young people, especially those of you who are teenagers into college age, it, it, it strikes me just how i become my parents. No offense, my parents are great, but like, you know, you just you think that you're keeping up with things and you, you just, you, you ain't. I mean, you're just not. I mean, um, if, your parents are, if your kids are in college and you're that age, just think of this. If you have college age kids, you never texted your wife anything when you were dating, you never texted a thing until 2006, probably. Um, the whole life that our young people live is completely foreign to us. So, it makes sense that we struggle sometimes with how, trying to navigate how to help them through it. There's just too much coming at us. And we're on the edge, you know, Gen Xers, my, my generation, we're on the edge of technology. Like, we, we know enough of it to be dangerous. Uh, but the problem with it is is that we can't keep up, and our students can, and, they, and there's a bit of a lag that re- seems to be related around that. I think both sides got to recognize this. It's by God's design that, that we have each other together like this, and hopefully young people will recognize maybe some of the breaks that get put on are a wise thing that come from our parents. Now, some of how our kids help us along, that's a wise thing from them as well. But please recognize the differences from, from our 1989 graduating date, if that's who you are, uh, to someone who's graduating here in 2017 in a couple of years. It's just a different world now already, and we have to all recognize it. I just promise you, uh, children, that the intention of your parents is to help you grow in independence. They want you to do well. They take no joy in, taking, in giving you restrictions, but they read the passage, and they see what it says. Do not provoke your children to, to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. And it says to you, children, obey your parents. It's right. Honor your father and your mother. It's the first commandment that comes with a promise. It'll go well with you if you do, that you might live long in the land. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Lord, your word is life to us. Your word lights our path in just the way we need. I pray for children and parents. Give them both grace. May the grace that they have been shown in Christ be evident in their relationship with each other. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.